Galatians 3, starting at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Thank you, Jared. Most of my favorite meals don't involve a microwave. They actually involve like several ingredients and it's a process and there's an order and there's a sequence and it takes a while to get it together. It's not like you just throw everything in a pot and voila, you know, 20 minutes later you get this masterpiece. Most are not like that. And similarly, some of my favorite Bible passages actually take a little bit of time to, to fully appreciate them. You got to dig in a little while, which isn't to say that the Bible has only complex. No, there's some simple messages in Scripture. We actually shared those with our, our preschoolers and our elementary kids this week. But it is to say there are some parts of the Bible that, like, they have a full, rich understanding. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to swim in the deep end. You're going to have to appreciate some concepts. And Galatians is like that. Uh, the Bible passage that uh, Jared just read is it's definitely like that. You have to appreciate there's a lot of things going on in this big storyline of the Bible. So even hearing it read again, which I've spent a while with this passage this week, but you have things like Abraham and you have the law and you have blessings and you have curses and you have uh, the, the Holy Spirit and you have all, all these different things, faith and all this is like, you, how, how do we piece these things together? It's not always super easy. Take, for instance, Abraham. So Abraham is mentioned in Galatians 3 and verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. The, the story of Abraham is an important one, and it's talked about the rest of Galatians. But when you talk about Abraham, you are now into one of the big, big storylines of the Bible. As a matter of fact, to understand Abraham, you're going back to, he's introduced fully in Genesis 12. So you're in the first book of the Bible almost right there at the beginning, preceding the introduction of Abraham, God creates this world which he says is very good, only for it to be messed up systematically. And like Genesis 3 through chapter 11 tell us of just how this world is even more messed up and more messed up, more problems. But then comes Genesis 12. And again, so this is what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to spend a little bit of time getting some of these ingredients together so that we can appreciate exactly 
exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. The first kind of ingredient that I want to make sure we understand and appreciate is Abraham's family. The first portion of the Bible introduces us to the story of Abraham's family. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had many sons and daughters. This is the family of Abraham, and this family grows so large, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Eventually, it's not just a family, it's a nation. And Paul's going to build on that particular ingredient of Abraham's family. And when it becomes a nation now, now how do you get like hundreds of thousands of people to live together in, in any sort of orderly way? And so with that, how does the nation live? How do you treat each other? Well, pretty quickly, if you have a nation, you're going to need laws. Laws are not only going to be necessary, they're going to be attractive because laws are going to help tell you exactly how, how do we behave. If we're all going to be free, if we're going to do things in a way that's fair and just, if we're going to figure out the best ways to care for each other and not harm each other, if we're going to honor and respect what's been before us, if we're going to know when we do things that are out of bounds or things that cross the line, we need the law. It becomes important to us. So Abraham's family actually lives under the law. So that's another important ingredient. Abraham's family is meant to be living under God's law. God gave law or instruction, and you find that in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, and you find it in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The first few books of the Bible, God gives the law through a descendant of Abraham named Moses. And much of the first part of the Bible is telling a story of how Abraham's family did or did not obey the law, responded to the law or did not respond to the law the way they should. But the idea was that as long as they lived under the law, under the rules, under the instruction of God, Abraham's family would receive blessings, would receive blessings that God had promised. So again, we have the ingredient of Abraham's family living under God's law, receiving promised blessings so do you have those ingredients down? Because if you do, you're actually, you got a, a pretty massive head start in understanding the Bible, and particularly also understanding where Galatians is coming from. Abraham's family living under God's law, receiving promised blessings. But even if you get that, which it's important that you get that, even if you get that, there's still some gaps. Like the Bible talks a lot, a, a lot more, and there are actually holes, and even even as I think through that basic storyline of much of the Bible, it's, it does leave me with questions. And maybe there are questions that you've considered as well. I think one of those questions, especially in the region of Turkey, which Paul is writing this letter to the, the people of Galatia, which is modern-day southern part of Turkey, one of those questions would have to be, what about Gentiles? I mean, so you've got Abraham's family, but most of the first believers of Jesus, especially over the first few decades, actually it becomes to be a lot of people that are not part of Abraham's immediate family. They're Gentiles. So what does this story of blessing have to do with people who are not part of Abraham's family? What about the Gentiles? And there's a, likely another question that comes to mind, and that is, what about those who don't live by the law. So you can see, I mean, Abraham's family living under God's law, but what about those who don't follow the law, who don't live by the law? Because the law has a lot to say about performance, about doing it, about 
living by it, about following the rules, keeping the instruction, has a lot to say about performance, but what happens if you don't perform? What happens if you don't obey? I mentioned this, I think, last week, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the Olympic trials and almost to a person after they qualify to go to the Olympics. So they want to stick a microphone in their face while they're completely out of breath, but that's another point for another day. They, they interview them and they ask, like, what did it take to get here? And often you're going to hear them like, my coach and I, we had a plan. If you want to say a law, we had a regime. We had like, we, we knew exactly how to do this. We had a plan, and what we did is we worked the plan over the last months, even crazy months that have been. And what you never hear them say is, you know, my coach had a plan, but I sat on the couch and ate cheeseburgers and drank milkshakes. And what do you know? I'm going to Tokyo. You never hear that. You never hear that because that's not the way it works. You got to have a plan, and then you work that plan. And then some people who have amazing skill or it just all comes like to, to be right on that very day, it works for them. But what happens when you don't follow the law? What happens when you don't keep it? It's not a hypothetical question. It's not a hypothetical question because at our best moments, we may try to follow the law. And the truth is, a lot of moments we don't try very hard to keep the instruction that God's given us. We don't follow it all the time. I'm not just talking about like old Jewish laws and rituals. I'm not just talking about like the dietary laws, no pork or keep Passover or go to the synagogue. I'm not even just talking about those. I, I guess I want to use the word law in a really general sense because humans are going to create rules and laws and codes I mean, surely there are formalized ones where, you know, Section 1, Article 3, Statute C says it. I'm, and those, we, we live by those, but I'm talking about even other laws where they're more informal, but they're even more powerful. Where it goes, this is the way we, this is the way we choose to do things here. This is the code we live by. When you think of, of the law, we decide, like, this is allowed and, and we don't even stop there. It's like, this shouldn't just be allowed. This should be celebrated. These are things that, like, we take pride in. This is bad. This is good. This is stuff you don't do. This is stuff you should do. I'm positive that we mean well as humans. Like, we try to mean well with these laws. The only problem is that we're just very inconsistent with the laws that we create. We don't always keep them. We don't keep them. I might have an internal law where, you know, I finish what I start, but I can look around in my life and see many things that I started and never finished. I can have an internal law where, you know what, people can depend on me. I'm not going to disappoint anybody, but I'm not consistent with that law. I've disappointed people this week. You see, we create these laws. You can have a rule like, you know, my, my law, my code I live by is just try to be a decent person and you'll get what you deserve. And, and we like, we, we kind of thrive on that. I, I'm all, all about people getting what they deserve until like teacher for no reason gives you extra credit. And nobody refuses that, right? No, teacher, I'll take the lower grade, please. No bonus for me, you know, supervisor. I'm, I, I, I'm refusing the bonus. Okay, I know I got pulled over and you want to, 
You want to just give me a warning? No warning for me. Write the ticket. Nobody says that stuff. We have this internal law. But we're all pretty glad when we, when we get off without getting what we deserve. We could have a rule of tolerance. Like my internal rules, I just have. I always have respect for, for people. Even if I disagree with them, I have respect. But eventually, this law of tolerance, we see it in our culture. Eventually, we won't tolerate the people who we think are intolerant because they're tolerant of things they should be intolerant of. And it just gets silly. It collapses quickly. Even the person who says, this is my law, this is my code, this is my rule, this is how I live my life. It doesn't take that much for us to poke holes in that. We excuse behavior in ourselves that we certainly wouldn't tolerate in others. You're not going to treat me that way, yet we would treat someone that way. We're all glad to skirt around some horrible thing we'd rather not suffer the consequences for. We all look back and go, you know, I had, I, I thought this is the way I was living, and then I, I totally wrecked my life. I, I say all that because we can't live by the rules we make, which makes me very deeply suspicious when I hear, hear the phrase like, my truth or your truth. I'm suspicious. It's not because different perspectives aren't good. Yeah, we need lots of perspectives. That's different than saying, I can distort reality and put the label truth on it and personalize it, and now everybody has to bend to it. But this is the way, this is the way we're, we seem to be wired to go. We, we have a code, and then we don't live by it. And it, it, we could just kid ourselves and say, well, I'm only hurting myself if I don't. But, but that's not true. We hurt others. And then there's this other thing that nags, and that is, what if in our code breaking and our law breaking and our failure to keep it all, we rebel against God? What if that happens? And, and in one way we could look at it, it's just madness to rebel against God. But in a rebellion, we're willing to even torture relationship with God. If I, if I thought about the worst betrayals, I thought, like, what is the most despicable betrayal you could think of that I could think of? I, w- I would think of, okay, betraying a person who has loved, loved me, who has sacrificed for me, who made me into the person I am for the good, who's always been for me, and the person who has been true to me and 100% honest with me. And if I betray that person, that is a serious betrayal. And yet that is exactly what we do when we say, God, I know you made me. I know you love me. And frankly, I'll do things my own way. You're not going to be my Lord. You're not going to be my King. We're talking about what happens when we don't live according to the law. Surely things aren't going to be okay if we live like that, which is why Galatians 3, so I notice several of you still have Bible open. Look at Galatians 3, verse 10. Verse 10, it says, If you are relying, for all who are relying on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide or stick by all the things written in the book of the law, to do them, which is a a quote from Deuteronomy, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Surely gives us something to ask as well, that verse. Like, what happens to those who are living under a curse? Like, what about those? 
Because if it says you're not keeping it all the way, you're under a curse, then when you read, when you read words like cursed in, in Galatians 3, it may be easy, I think, just in the way we use that. We don't use it regularly, but it, it would be easy for me to think of some cartoon, like some hex getting put on someone and someone turns into this and maybe has a bad day. And it would be easy to cheapen and minimize what that word curse means because it's a loaded term and it's not used flippantly in the Bible. This passage comes from Deuteronomy 27, 28. When I looked at Deuteronomy 28 yesterday and I read it, 54 verses of Deuteronomy 28 are dedicated toward talking about this is what it looks like to live under the curse of God. 54 verses. And it's not just like, yeah, you don't have a good day every now and then. These were the words that I came across. Fear, panic, scattered, no assurance, doubt, dread, disaster, distress. This is life is a wreck. It's a rough picture. And some of these elements are just living in a world that is impacted by the curse. But this is also giving us a real clear picture that, like, we're not playing games here. We can't cheapen what it would mean to live apart from the blessing of God. We are, if we are under a curse, we are, we get a picture of what it looks like to be separated from God and all that that could mean, which is a very, very disturbing picture. Paul is like, I feel like he's just snapping his his fingers to get our attention, saying, you've got to pay attention to this. Let's think about some things. Let's think about these subjects, the questions, like, how do you answer those? Like, what about those questions? What about the Gentiles? What if you don't live under the law? What happens if you find yourself under a curse? Actually, as you read the Old Testament, so the first several books of the Bible go by, and you get answers to some of those questions, but they seem partial and incomplete. They seem like, ah, it doesn't seem like it resolves all the way. If we just read you know, the first portion of our Bible, that God was always working a plan. Like, it's just the start, but then it keeps just unfolding, which is why Galatians 3.8 says this, the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And here we have Abraham preach the gospel to him, and so 2,000 years it unfolds to how the gospel is all going to be, like, worked out and fleshed out saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul's saying, God is laying out a plan, and then when Jesus comes, lots of things get clarified, amplified, explained, fulfilled, transformed because of what Jesus has done. What happens in several ways, even going through some of those questions we were asking, Because of Jesus' membership in Abraham's family, remember that's the blessed family, now becomes available to all people through faith, all who believe. Who's Abraham's family? According, because Jesus has come, it's all who will believe. Who's a part of Abraham's family? All who will believe. It was always about faith for Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, but in Jesus the family is extended, the nations, every nation. And like, there are several nationalities, ethnicities represented here. Complete invitations extended to believe. No prerequisite to have, no condition to meet, no standard to gain entrance, no qualifying time you've got to have. Like, this is just a, a welcome in. Galatians 3, verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him 
as righteousness. Verse 7, know that it is then those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Who's Abraham's family? Those who are believing. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Faith is is like the, the gate into this. But faith in what? Faith in yourself? Like believing in belief, believing in faith? I mean, what, what, what exactly? Because it really matters what we have faith in, which is why we'd even go back to the previous chapter of Galatians 2 where Paul would say, I live by faith. What kind of faith? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith in what Jesus did, faith in the life he lived, faith in the death he died on the cross. How does it all work? Jesus lived perfectly and died for us. So he asked the question, like, what about those who don't live under God's law? And then we get a picture, a beautiful picture of Jesus who always lived under God's law perfectly, like none of us can or do. Jesus lived perfectly. There was one who never went out of bounds, always stuck fast to the law, fulfilled it even though he couldn't, and his life is a gift to us. And that gift, Jesus brought freedom from slavery. He, he brought righteousness into this world, justice. He always perfectly and sincerely. He always obeyed the Father. He always was clean in his heart and in his attitude and in his body. And for us, he took our sin, became a curse for all of our failed law-keeping. He died under the curse of the law. That's what Galatians 3.13 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, the one who's hanging on a tree is cursed. That's a reference from Leviticus 18 where Moses goes through all the things that would warrant the death penalty. And then he says at the end, you want to know what a picture of shame looks like? Someone who deserves to die is someone hanging on a tree giving public record like this is what should happen to the, to the person that is not right with God. This is the person who harms others, who messes up the world. This is a picture And so it's not insignificant that Jesus went to a cross and is hung on a tree, becoming a curse for us. This is such love. And so we're going to, we use like words, uh, grace and mercy and compassion and loving kindness. And then we need adjectives like amazing grace, how, how wonderful, how marvelous. And then we need like adverbs like holy and completely and I mean, these, this is what we've got to do, and we've got to write songs and poems, and we've got to, like, tell stories and, and paint pictures just to try to communicate this is what grace looks like, and it's, it's stunning when we get that picture, the amazing love of Jesus for us, becoming the curse, taking all that for us, for me, for you. What happens if the curse is dealt with? That means the promised blessings are able to come. And they come to all who believe in Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus. This is such a, such a radical change. Such a radical transformation. You and I might have a few changes in our life where we 
drop a few pounds, get in shape, try to eat a little bit more healthy, and this is nothing like those changes, right? This is, this is God doing for us a work in us that will never be the same. Life is eternal. Listen to Galatians 3, verse 13. Again, picking up, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He did that so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to all the nations, all the Gentiles. two things in those verses like did you notice we are redeemed and we receive the spirit we're redeemed so Jesus Christ on the cross this is what this is teaching he secured the price for our freedom so no, no longer are we indebted no longer are we in bondage but because of what Jesus has done we're free free to serve God free to live for him we are redeemed. My best friend, Jesus Christ, came to my rescue. Did not leave me alone. Did not leave me helpless. Did not leave me without purpose. But came for me and redeemed me. Not only are we redeemed, but we also receive the promised blessings of the Holy Spirit. Four times in this passage, just those verses that Jared read, four times, Receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Spirit, receive the Spirit. When you receive the Spirit, He seals your identity. You are God's possession. You are His. He is yours permanently. When you receive the Spirit, you get assurance. So even as I was listening to Wayne read from the Scripture and also pray for us and pray with us, it was such a reminder that the help we have is through the Holy Spirit we receive a helper when we don't even know what to pray for. We have a helper. Not only do we have this identity and assurance, but he works in you with power. You have a, a supercharged conscience. You have energy to walk with God and love others. God deals with our sin permanently. He changes us. And then he lands us in a community like this. Not a perfect community, but in a community of grace where we sing together songs like Chris led us in a moment ago. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for saving me. And it's right, we, we would repeat that. That's certainly worth repeating, certainly worth like the, the music building to say, we called and you answered, and our lives are changed. So all along, this is what God was doing. This is amazing, but what if, what if, church, what if you hear all that, but you take it for granted. What if over a week or a month or a year or a decade or two decades or three decades, you begin to not be so impressed by that? What if you begin to tell yourself another story? You lose sight of this amazing thing of Christ redeeming us from the curse that we deserve. And what if you begin to think, well, I mean, yes, God is good. And yes, you know, I'm working the best I can. and I'm trying to deserve it as well. What if you think you can take what God did and like, I'm going to improve on that. I mean, what if that is our mindset? No one would verbalize that. But what if we go, yeah, I mean, the cross stuff gets us started, but now we've got to really buckle down. I know what Paul thinks of that. He comes out swinging in Galatians 3 when he says, has someone cast a spell on you? Is that what you really think? Like, seriously. 
And he even calls them foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians. He calls them that twice. This isn't an IQ issue. He's saying, you know better. Like, what are you thinking? You know better. You, you know what it means to be loved by God in this way. And so he begins asking questions after the love and grace of Jesus on the cross. It's questions I want us to ask today. Does it make any sense? Is there any reason why you would rely on, count on, depend on what you can do? Your effort. Is there any reason why you would do that after the mercy and grace? Is there any way you think, well, I think I can help the work of God get across the finish line. I think the missing ingredient of God's plan all along was me and my work and me trying to do the best I can and the right things, and then that'll get us all the way. I mean, do we think that? Do you understand why Paul is swinging hard after the love and grace of Jesus on the cross? Does it make sense that I would count on my effort to be righteous, to be counted righteous, to be okay, to be okay with God, to be okay with everybody else, to be okay in my soul? Is there, go, you know what I'm going to count on? I'm going to count on me doing the best I can. Is there any reason? Is there any reason after the love and grace of Jesus on the cross? They go, you know, to really, to really receive the Holy Spirit, I, I better start working. I better start like buckling down. I better start giving a little more, or being a better person. It makes no sense. Did God really find a worthy recipient to live in when he found you? He didn't. And still he loved you. And still he chose to come for you and live in you. Can I tell you the truth? This ought to comfort us, but it also ought to rattle us a little. It ought to rattle us because what Paul is writing, he's writing this to the church who somehow had lost track of this. So I think in closing, I would say, I think this passage gives us a couple things. One is a, a warning. If the people who heard from Paul directly could forget it really is all about grace and not about works and performance. Now, I ought to be highly suspicious of my own heart to go that direction too. I ought to be like pretty ruthlessly suspicious of things that I might do to say, see, I get a little credit before God for that. It could happen to them. It surely could happen to me. So there's a warning here for all of us who would name Jesus as our Savior. Not only a warning, but there's also an invitation. And that invitation is you don't have to rely on yourself any longer. You can rely on Jesus. You can take steps of faith right here. You could talk with a, a friend who brought you or a pastor or someone even before you left today, taking steps of faith going, I'm, I'm not going to rely on myself. I'm not going to count on the, even the good things I do. I'm counting on Jesus and him alone. What would hold you back from doing that? What is the obstacle that would keep you from leaning hard on what Jesus has done for you? In a moment, I, I love the way we're going to close today. Because in a moment, we're going to sing, May I Never Lose the Wonder of the Cross. But I want to ask the Lord to help us focus our attention on that. Let me pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for this stern warning and this gracious invitation. This warning that we better not lose sight. Our, our lives will wreck if we lose sight of your gift of grace. Undeserving as we are. But thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the course correction for the, the Galatians. Thank you for the course correction here this morning. 
turn our attention to the cross. And may that always, may that always have our attention and move our emotions and our affections and work on our, how we live this out. Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.